Well, good morning, church. Glad you guys are here this morning. Today, we're going to continue in our series called Winning, Getting Game Ready. And maybe your first time here, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Doug. I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we are delighted that you're here. And I also want to let you know out of the gate, when you think about winning, I want you to know that what you're about to hear is nothing tied to a prosperity gospel. So I want to define for you what winning really is, all right? Because when we think about winning as believers, we need to realize that winning is experiencing those small victories in life where God works in us and through us for his name and for his glory. And the church should say amen to that. Amen. That's, what spirit, that's what winning is. And so it's those moments when I experience those spiritual victories where God's working in me and through me for his name, his glory, and his renown. But if we're going to win, if we're going to be used by God, we need to be game ready. So this whole series has been about how do we get game ready. So we started the series off with well, one way we get game ready is by looking at how, as I present our positioning. Like, if we're, if we're going to be used by God, we have to position ourselves to be used by God. And so we started out of the gate with Psalms 1, and we were reminded that we're either going to position ourselves to follow the path of the wicked, right? We're going to sit in the seat of the scoffers, and we're going to stand in the way of sinners, or we're going to, you know, whatever we're going to do, are we going to listen to the wicked people that don't want to have a voice in our lives, or are we going to rightly position ourselves and delight in the law of the Lord, God's word? And meditate it, meditate on it day and night. So it's all about, if we're going to be used by God, it begins with how are you positioned? Are you following the wicked people that want to have a voice into your life? Are you listening, reading, and meditating on the truth of God's word and letting that guide your life? Then last week we talked about if we really want to be used by God, it also comes down to a question. Are you a player in the game of life or are you a spectator? Another way of saying it was this. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you just an enthusiastic admirer who's glad to have the jersey but has no desire to get into the game? Are you a follower who says, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm on team Jesus, and I want to be in the game so I can play, I can, I can struggle, I can move forward for your name and for your glory. And so are you a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? And today we're going to talk about the third thing we need to do to be game ready. And this one's going to be a no-brainer. You ready? If we're going to be game ready, we need to know the game plan, right? How many of you played sports before? Anybody played sports? Okay. And if you didn't play sports, I'm sorry, it's my only frame of reference. But if you played sports, uh, did you have a game plan before you went into the game? Let me see your hands. Okay, I only see two hands. Okay, you had a game plan, right? Now, the game plan for a coach is essential because the game plan lays out the strategy you're going to use when you play the game. Whether it's wrestling or whether it's football or basketball or any other sports, I mean, you have a strategy. If we're going to go into this, here's our strategy and what we're going to do. And that's true of every, every area of life. But for a coach, that's crucial because also the game plan lays out clear direction. Here's exactly what I want you to do. Here's exactly the way I want you to perform. Here's exactly the steps I want you to take. Here is not only the strategy, but here's clarity on exactly how to do that. And what we know is if you go into any game without a strategy, it is 100% chaos, isn't it? Have you ever gone into a game or have you ever gone into doing something and there was no strategy, there was no plan? I mean, it was 100% chaos. So here's the question today. What is God's game plan for you and I? If we're going to be game ready, don't we need to know what God's game plan is? How does God want us to operate in the world in which we live? How does God want us to play in this game of life that we are all in? What is God's game plan for you and I? And I believe we can sum up the entirety of God's game plan in one verse. 
So we're going to look at one verse today. In fact, I believe you could go back to the Old Testament and everything God told Israel about what it means to live for him, to obey him, to be set apart, and to live a life of holiness. And, and you go all the way to the New Testament and everything that Paul taught, Peter taught, John taught, Jesus himself taught about what it means to love God and to love people. I think you could take all the things we learned through scripture and it could literally come down to being summarized in one verse. And this one verse gives us a great deal of clarity of what God's game plan for you and I are as we live in this world. So if you have your Bibles, you don't have to stand because it's just one verse. I want you to turn with me to the book of Micah. Micah. And in my Bible, it's page 870. I don't know what it is in your Bible, but it's in the Old Testament, Micah. One verse. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. One verse. You probably know it. It says this. God speaking to the prophet Micah. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Stop there. What, does, what is God's game plan for you? Israel, he's talking to Israel specifically. What is God's plan for you? As you live in this world and you try to live and be salt and light, as you live in this world and try to live in a way that turns people toward me, what does the Lord require of you? What is God's game plan? Here it is. You ready? But to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That's it. Let's read this together. Do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I didn't hear anybody reading this. We'll try that again. Make sure you're with me. To do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. That's God's game plan. Now, I know some of you thinking, that's a little simple for me, Doug. One of my favorite movies, which probably should be all of your favorite movies, is the movie Remember the Titans. Anybody know that movie? Probably the best movie for quotes ever. But in that movie, I remember early on as they're taking these, this segregated group and they're bringing them together and integrating them and they're about to head off to Gettysburg for their, their football camp, which was incredible. I remember Coach Boone is talking to the defensive coaches and he hands them the playbook. He said, this is our game plan. And the defensive coach picks up the game plan and looks at and holds and says, this game plan seems mighty thin. And here's what Coach Boone says. He said, my plan it's like Novocaine. You give it time, and it always works. Now, I love that because I feel like that's God's game plan. Because you and I, you know, if we look at this, and we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack this, we look at do justice, love mercy, and walk, walk, walk humbly with our Lord, and we look at that, and there's a part of us going, yeah, it's great, but that's a little simple. Isn't there more to it, Doug? And can I tell you why we fight that temptation? It's because we all fight the temptation for legalism, don't we? We all find that temptation of having a checklist and a boxes that we can check off. I've done that. I've done that. And we kind of, whether we believe it or not, we kind of buy into this idea of Christianity that I've got a whole host of things that I've got to do. Maybe the list is longer than I can imagine. And if I do them all, maybe at some point in some way that I'll be honoring and living for the Lord. But what we find out here is this is what the Lord wants of you. If you're ever wondering, okay, what is God's will for my life? It's right here. What is God's game plan for how I live in this world as a believer, as an exile, as a stranger in a dark and a broken world? This is God's game plan. Here, you ready? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. I don't know about you, but I'm not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, and I love simplicity, don't you? I love the fact that if I want to know how does God want me to live in this world, this is it. Everything we learn in the Old Testament, everything we learn in the New Testament can be summarized in this one statement. So let's unpack it for a moment this morning. Let's talk about first thing he says is to do justice. If we're going to have a game plan, God's game plan is number one, do justice. That phrase, do justice, literally can be translated, choose to do 
what is right. That's what it means. To do justice means choose to do what is right. Now, let me give you a parenthesis here. Not what's right in your mind. You're like rats, right? (laughs) Not what's right in your mind. Not based on your opinion. Not based on your preference. Not based on your experience. But to do what's right based on, hear me, this. God's word. And if you haven't heard me say this often enough, we believe that the word of God is the sole authority for how we are to live our lives. Amen, church? I mean, God's word is God's word. It's the very breath of God spoken to humanity to not only paint a picture of his love for us, but to tell us how to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. And so when we think about doing what is right, it's not based on what you think is right, what you feel is right, but it's based on what God has said is right. That means that no matter what decision I'm facing, no matter what obstacle that comes in front of me, I look at the situation and I clearly am able to go, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And I choose to do what's right. Now hear me on this. Doing justice is not just knowing the right thing to do. It's committing to do the right thing. Are you with me on that, church? Now listen, this idea of doing what's right is huge for us. I mean, you just think about it in every area of your life. I'm going to take several areas, but let's just think about it. Let's talk about some of you in the room are in the high school, young adults, maybe a little bit older, and you're in the dating scene, right? Okay, so what is the wrong thing to think about when you think about dating? You're right. Here's the wrong thing to think about. Have no standards. Have no standards. I mean, like, absolutely, there's no standards. Like, for example, when someone comes up to me that I know and that I love and I care about, and some of them are in this room, and they go, hey, Doug, I've started dating. What, you know what the first question I always ask them is? Do they know Jesus as their Savior? First question. So the wrong question is, or the wrong thinking is, hey, you have no standards. You know, and some of you might need to look at your daily life and go, well, that's pretty much me. I need to change this, right? But you have no standards. That's the wrong way of thinking that I have no standards, no bar, no criteria for who I date. The right way to think is, is to look at what Scripture says when it says, don't be unequally yoked. Now, to be not unequally yoked is not just talking about a believer dating a non-believer. Can I say this to you? It also means some of you are passionate about the Lord. You need to make sure who you date is equally passionate about the Lord, or at least on the journey to be passionate about the Lord. This idea of yoking myself with someone who's either an unbeliever or doesn't care about the things of God, that's a problem. And so the wrong thinking is, I'll just date whoever I want to. The right way of thinking is, listen, Scripture says, biblical truth is, do not be yoked with somebody who's ungodly, you know, that doesn't care for the things of God. Don't be unequally yoked. What about friendships? What's the wrong way of thinking about friends? Well, I'm just, whoever I want to be my friends, and, and sometimes in our friendships, our wrong thing is, well, whoever can do the most for me, right? Whatever I can get out of them. And, and sometimes in our friendships, we have no standards of friendships either, right? I mean, we'll just befriend anybody who wants to be our friend. And, and here's what I always find humorous is, you talk about someone says, I've got all these best friends. Really? You've got that many BFFs in your life, right? And so the wrong way of thinking is that anybody can be my friend. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be friendly to everybody. And I'm not saying we shouldn't befriend people. But I'm talking about those that we let into the inner circle, those that we call dear friends to us. Wrong way of thinking is anybody can be my friend like that. The right way of thinking is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Bad company always corrupts what? Good character. 
Now, what does that mean? That when I choose to spend my life not befriending, not loving on, not showing the light of Christ to people that don't know Christ, that's not what we're talking about, but when I choose to let my friend circle revolve around people who are ungodly, it will always, always, always corrupt good character. Ouch, right? See, that's the right thinking. It's not based on Doug's opinions. It's not based on my preference. That is the truth of God's word. So friendships, the wrong way of thinking is, I'll be friends with whoever I want to. The right way of thinking is, no, 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 bad company always corrupts good character. What about conversations? The wrong way of thinking is this. Has anybody ever heard someone say this statement? You know, I have no filter. I just, whatever I think and whatever I feel, I just say. Anybody know somebody like that? Okay, some of you are like, oh, he's talking about me. I don't know that, but maybe that's you. Listen, that's the wrong way of thinking. Always saying what you think is a problem, right? I mean, I know you're thinking, but at the end of the day, this idea of just, you know, I'm going to say whatever I think in my conversations, I'm going to joke however I want to joke, that's the wrong way of thinking. The right way of thinking is when Scripture says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? That doesn't mean, we're not just talking about cussing. We're talking about gossip. We're talking about slander. We're talking about things that are condescending and degrading. The unwholesomeness is like, let nothing come out of my mouth that is, gives the appearance of ungodly. That's the right way of thinking. What about the idea of lust? What about lust? I mean, everybody in this room, whether you want to admit or not, no raise your hands, everybody in this room at some point in your life has wrestled with the issue of lust. The wrong way of thinking about it is this. It's like, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. Can I suggest to you or tell you what Jesus said about lust? He equated it to adultery. Didn't he? He said, if man has lust in his heart as if he already committed adultery, the apostle Paul said himself that we are to flee sexual immorality because every other sin is outside the body, but sexual morality affects the very fiber of our being. I mean, scripture says that when lust happens, we got to do something about it. See, Jesus understood and Paul understood that when you let lust linger, it always leads to engagement. And you've got to kill it right now. See, that's the wrong way of thinking is, ah, it's not that big a deal. The right way of thinking about it is, I got to flee. I got to get the heck out of Dodge because it's impacting my very soul. What about you living your life for Jesus? Many of you would say, you know what? I'm going to live my life for me. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. You would have a Frank Sinatra moment, right? And you can live this world and you can leave this world and you can say what? I did it how? My way. My way. There's a lot of people in hell that are saying that one, Right? And so some of us look at our life, I can live life however I want to. That's the wrong way of thinking. The right way of thinking is, no, no, no. The way I'm going to choose to live my life is what Scripture said. When Jesus says, let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and praise your Father who? In heaven. That's the right way of thinking. What about you sharing your faith? This is where we really get stuff, right? So many of us in the room, we talk about sharing our faith and sharing the good news of Jesus with people. We call it the gospel. Some of us get really nervous about that and scared about that. Well, maybe somebody else, will, you know, well, Drew's pretty outspoken. Maybe Drew will do that for him. Maybe Drew's got that thing covered. Somebody else will do this for us. That's the wrong way of thinking. The right way of thinking is, what, is looking to the words of Jesus when he said, as you are going, make disciples. If you love me and you're committed to me, as you walk through this game of life, tell people about me. Now, here's my point. I know I've labored it, but here's my point. We have to choose to do justice. We have to choose to do what is right. And there's, and I only covered like six or seven areas. There's so many areas of life that we need to look at the way, the wrong way of thinking, and then go to the truth of God's word and goes, God, what does your word say? What is right? And listen, and I choose that. 
Are you with me on that this morning, church? I choose that. Now, I know some of you, because you're super smart, you're going to say something like this. Well, pastor, what about situations I'm faced with that Scripture doesn't speak clearly about? I can't turn to a verse like you just turned to and quote exactly what you quoted. But I mean, what about those situations? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. I have a friend of mine. His name is Randy Soroller. He's been a pastor for about four decades now. And uh, we've been friends for almost 25 years. And several years ago, probably about 22 years ago, he was wrestling with the same thing. He was wrestling with this notion of, okay, what do we do when Scripture is not clear about a situation or decision? What do we do with that? So he developed what he calls the five biblical principles of making any decision. And I love it. In fact, I wish I'd have come up with it, but I'm just not that smart. In fact, our students have heard us talk about it. We've talked about it a lot of times. But, but in these five biblical principles, here's what he's saying, is that when you come to the place where the Bible doesn't clearly speak on an issue, you can go to these or other four things, and by the time you're done, you should know clearly what is right and what's wrong. So let me give you the five principles real quickly. I want you to write these down. I'm, they're all five Bs. I'm just going to tell you the Bs, and I'll explain them. The first one, obviously most important, is Bible. We've been talking about that. Bible brother slash sister, body, boss, blessed, Bible, brother, body, boss, blessed. Here's the principles. Number one, when I'm faced with a decision, does it violate the clear teaching of the Bible? And can we agree that most things we encounter, the answer would be either yes or no statement. And from that, we automatically make a decision. Am I going to do justice and the right thing, or am I not going to do the right thing? The second thing is, when the Bible doesn't clearly speak to that, we got to know where to go from there. So what he's done is he's developed four other principles that reflect the character, the precepts, and the principles of God. And he talks about brother. Does what I'm about to do will cause my brother or sister to stumble in their faith? Now listen why this one's important. Because it forces you to ask the question, am I going to be driven by my rights or am I going to be driven by my responsibilities? Do you hear me on that one? This question forces us to ask the question, am I going to wave the banner of my rights or am I going to wave the banner of my responsibility as a Christ follower? So if the scripture clearly doesn't speak to it, the second thing is, will this harm my brother or sister and cause them to stumble in their faith? The third thing is body. Will this harm my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a follower of Christ, you do know your body is not your own. Do you know that? Come on, do you know that, church? Say amen. In fact, it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't get jurisdiction with what happens to your body. It belongs to Him, right? And so is it going to hurt my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? The, the, the fourth thing he says is boss. Now, this is only relevant to those in the room, because typically he developed this for teenagers and college students. This is only relevant for those of us that are, that are kids, teenagers, young adults, and you still live under home, at home, and you're under the authority of your parents. He says, does it go against the expressed will of my spiritual boss? Do you know who your spiritual boss is? Students? Do you know who your spiritual boss is? Help me out. Who is it? Jesus. Don't say dad. Don't say mom. It's collectively. It's what is it? Jesus. It's your parents. They're your spiritual boss right? Jesus is the boss of your parents, but they're your spiritual boss. So like for my boys, you know, my, my, my boys, all of them, but especially Daniel, he'd always ask me questions like, well, if I want to do this, I want to do that. Can I do that? And I'm like, listen, I have no problem with you doing that, but while you're in my house, we're not going to do that. 
So what am I saying is, hey, look, forget, you know, even what the Bible says, that's great, but if you're going to live here, we're not going to go down that route. We're not going to go down that path. We're not going to do those things. And what I'm saying is, listen, I am the spiritual authority. God has placed me over you, whether you like it or not. God has placed me as an authority over you. And here's, now some of you are like, I don't like it. Well, it's a tough, tough. You got to deal with it, right? But here's, I'm their, his spiritual boss. Sonia is his spiritual boss. For the fifth thing is this. When I'm faced with a decision, if it doesn't violate the clear teaching in the scripture, if it doesn't cause my brother or sister to stumble in their faith, if it doesn't harm my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, if it doesn't go against my spiritual boss, here's the last one, is what I'm about to do something I can truly ask God to bless. We know the answer to that most of the time, don't we? And so when we're looking at this idea of doing justice, we first and foremost come where? To God's word. What is the clear teaching of the Bible? And if we can't find it, then we got to go. These other, we listen, the bottom line is we go these other principles because we got to realize that doing justice is primary. The part of God's game plan for your life and my life is to do what is right. Now, I know doing what is right is risky. I know that if you choose to do what is right, you could be persecuted for that. I know if you choose to do what is right, you could be ostracized for that. I know if you choose to do what is right, it could impact your reputation. I know if you choose to do what is right, you could lose friendships over it. But I want to tell you, if you choose to do justice, and you choose to see what's wrong and what's right, and I choose to do what is right, listen to me, it will change people around you. And most importantly, it will draw you in closer in your relationship with the Lord. So what's God's game plan? Number one, do justice. Number two, love kindness. Now, I don't know about your story, but I know my story. I struggle with this one. Not because I don't want to be a kind person, but here's what I mean. When someone's rude to me, what do I want to follow up rudeness with? Come on, what do I want to follow up rudeness with? More rudeness. Some of you are like so spiritual, like I'm not going to say it, but you know it's true, right? We want to be more rude, right? In fact, here's what, let's be honest. I want to give them what they deserve, not what they need. And what they deserve is purely subjective in my eyes, right? I mean, if you've been rude to me, if you've hurt me, if you've harmed me spiritually, relationally, maybe even physically, all I want to do is retaliate. That's part of our human flesh. We, we want to come back at you. But the reality is this idea of loving kindness means, listen, what we're to do is not to give them what they deserve, but to give them what they need. Now, let's just be honest. Florida has the craziest drivers in the world. Amen? I mean, my dad used to say you can't fix stupid, and we encounter a lot of stupid on the road all the time, right? And what most of these stupid drivers deserve is me like, you know, like motor, motorcycle people. Motors, I mean, I love motorcycle people. But when you're weaving in and out of the traffic going up and down, and we're stopping, you're still weaving out, I just kind of want to throw the door open. I just want to kind of let you know I'm here, I exist. That's what they deserve. But what do they need? Come on, what do they need? Love. love mercy. Grace. Can I tell you something we all struggle with? Patience. Right? Now, this idea of loving kindness could be translated, show mercy. It's really what it means. Show mercy. So even when someone persecutes you, show mercy. Why? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Come on, church. As a believer, do we get what we deserve? No. We deserve death, hell, and separation. But what we got is what we need. And that was a Savior who loved us and saved us and gave us the hope 
of heaven. In fact, you look at scripture, there's a story of the unmerciful servant where this guy owes a tons and tons of money, and he goes to the king and begs for his life. The king shows him mercy, shows him grace, and then the same guy who's been forgiven this atrocious debt, I mean, this debt that we can't even imagine, goes right out and finds a guy who owes him pocket change, and he chokes him out. And then he goes back to the king, and the king rebukes him for not loving kindness and showing mercy. Now, I know if we truly show mercy, I know from some people's standpoint, it's a risk because we can be viewed as weak, like a doormat, like people can walk all over. I mean, I know it's how it's viewed, but listen to me. If we truly show mercy, if we truly love with kindness, listen to me, church. If we truly do those things, the people we're kind to, it will change them. The people we're kind to, it'll change them. You know why? Because they know what they deserve. And they can see that you've given them what they need, not what they deserved. And can I tell you most importantly, when we choose to love kindness, we look a whole lot like Jesus, don't we? You remember when Jesus had the woman brought to him that was caught in the act of adultery, meaning there was a peeping Tom somewhere, right? And they caught her, they brought her to Jesus. What, were, what, what did she deserve? What did she deserve? Come on, church, what did she deserve? Death. They were ready to stone her. What did she need? Mercy. And Jesus began to write in the sand. I, I love to know what he wrote there. I would love to know. We can speculate, but I would love to know what he wrote. He looked to the accusers and said, you without sin, you cast the first stone. They dropped all the rocks. They walk away, and he looks her in the eye, and he says this, go and sin no more. In other words, I know what you deserve, but I'm going to show you loving kindness. And I'm telling you, when we do that as followers of Jesus, yes, when we do what is right, but when we show mercy and loving kindness, we are like Jesus in that moment. And then there's one more thing he says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That phrase, walk with God, means an intentional, on-purpose spending time with the Lord. That I'm active and I'm intentional at spending time with the Lord. And then he adds this word humbly into the mix. To walk humbly. That word humbly means to walk in submission. Walk yielded. Walk under the authority and the umbrella of what God has for you. In other words, I want you to intentionally and actively spend time with the Lord. And as you spend time with the Lord, and as he navigates and he speaks to you, I want you to follow his leadership. That's part of God's game plan. Not only to do what's right, not only to show mercy, but to walk humbly with our Lord. Can I tell you what this requires? This requires complete self-denial. It requires us to look, okay, my life is not about Doug. My life is about Jesus. My desires aren't about what Doug wants. My desire should be what Jesus desires. Do you know this, that we are surrounded by people that live in these subdivisions right around us that don't know Jesus? Do you know that? Do you know that? Yes or no? Yes. Does that break your heart? I think it breaks Jesus' heart. Jesus even said, the harvest is what? Plentiful, but it's the laborers 
that are few. I, I wish that you and I could catch a glimpse of what it means to be complete self-denial. We go, my desires, my wants, my, my de- decisions for my life. It's not about me. It's about me making much of him. That's what it requires. It also requires complete 100% obedience. If we're going to walk humbly with our God, if we're going to spend time with him, here's what I know. The more I spend time in this word, the more God convicts me of sin, the more God convicts me of how I'm living, how I'm speaking, what I'm doing. And if I'm going to walk humbly with him, it's not just about being convicted of it. It's about changing my behavior, changing my actions. And it's going to require complete obedience of your life and my life if we're going to walk humbly with our God. That means obedience in the areas of our finances. Kent talked about that a while ago. That means area and obedience of how we live life. You know, for the last several weeks, we, we come to this board, and I love this board. This board reflects 30 lives that have been changed, that have followed through believers' baptism. But I know this. There's probably some of you here today that have accepted Christ as your Savior, and you've never taken the step of obedience to let the world know you belong to him. You know what we talk about it every week? Because baptism in Scripture was the first step of obedience in the life of a believer. And hear me, if we struggle taking the first step, how much more are we going to struggle taking the rest of the steps? A lot, aren't we? And maybe some of you knew that too. Maybe some of you are followers of Christ going, Ben Doug, I've never done it, and I need to do it. Well, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to baptize next Sunday. We would love for you to be part of that. But it requires 100% obedience if we're going to walk humbly with our God. Now listen to me. If we're going to walk humbly with our God, let me tell you something. First of all, is it going to cost you? Is it going to cost you? It is. But can I say this? If we will walk humbly with our God, he will change us from the inside out. He'll change us from the inside out. So when we think about God's game plan for our lives, these these three things, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And I guess my question this morning is, which one of these areas do you struggle with? Do you struggle discerning what is right and what's wrong? Or maybe I don't struggle discerning. I just struggle choosing what's right. Do you struggle showing loving kindness and showing mercy to folks, even though I know that's what you want from the Lord is mercy? Do we, are we walking humbly with our God? Are we actively and intentionally spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer and spending time with him? And then when we hear God's truth and we read God's truth, we're applying it to our lives. Are we doing that? Which one of these areas are you struggling with? And what level of commitment are you willing to make this morning? See, I believe if we're going to be game ready and we're going to win, it's not just about knowing this stuff. It's about putting it into practice. And maybe this morning you're a follower of Jesus and there's an area that you're wrestling and you need God's strength, you need his wisdom, you need his direction, you need his encouragement to do that, I'm going to say this altar is going to be open. Because listen, I, I don't care if you're super Christian or not in the room today, every single one of us struggle with one of those three errors. There's one of those three errors, every single one of us. I told you mine, it's kindness. I want to be, I really do want to be kind, but I struggle sometimes. I wrestle with it. In fact, David will be riding with me and I'll struggle with it. He's like, that's a good, that's a good comment, preacher dad. I mean, because he even knows, I mean, I wrestle with that. I do, I wrestle with that. But listen, can I tell you this? The, the one desire of my heart, which I'm sure is the one desire of your heart, is I so much want to look like Jesus. Don't you? So which one do we struggle with? Maybe it's doing the right thing. Maybe those five principles I laid out, you're like, man, the light bulb just came on. 
Like now I have the tools to make right decisions. Maybe you're like Doug and you struggle with this whole kindness thing and you know you need victory over it because you want to look like Jesus. Or maybe you struggle walking with God because you're not walking with him at all. Wherever you struggle, would you make a commitment to turn that around today? Why? So ultimately, we can turn people to him and we can look more like him. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this one verse that packs such a punch. I thank you for this passage, Lord, that, that just plainly reminds us of your game plan for our lives. It's to do justice, do what's right, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with you, God. And I know there's a lot of people in the room that, that profess to be followers of you, Lord. And I pray that we would ask ourselves the question, where are we struggling? Where are we wrestling with this? And that, God, that we would make it right with you, that today we might make a commitment. We might make a commitment to choose to do what's right, even when it goes against what we want. That we might choose to show kindness, even though it doesn't come natural that we might choose to spend time walking humbly with you even when we don't feel like we've got the time. God, I pray for some believers today. I pray as you lead us that we would make some real commitments. So God, would you move in this time? Would you touch our hearts? As we leave this morning, God, would you help us take this verse and memorize it? That this is what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk calmly with our God. God, that would be the anthem of our lives moving forward. That we would know in one single verse, your plan, your desire, and your will for our lives. God, may that be the banner that we choose to live under from this day forward. So God, would you move? Would you convict us? Would you wreck us this morning? There's some of us that are making wrong decision after wrong decision. There's some of us that are not walking with you, and, and yet we wonder how we got here. God, would you do what you do best, and would you just show up and move in our hearts? And then, God, as you move, I pray that we would be faithful to surrender. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, if there's an area you're struggling, man, I, would you do business with the Lord? Would you make a new commitment to him? If you feel led and you want to come to this altar and let your, the posture of your heart be reflected in your physical posture and get on your knees before holy God, say, God, I'm struggling. Man, this altar is going to be open for you. But most importantly, however the God is tugging at your heart this morning, would you respond? If you need prayer, Pat and Willie over here would love to pray with you. If you need the altar, it's right here. But when we take a look in a moment, just a moment, take a mirror of our lives spiritually and go, okay, Doug, our Lord, which one of these three areas am I struggling? And am I going to leave here today the same way I came in? Or am I going to make a new commitment to the Lord? So as the Lord leads you, and the Lord leads me, will we be faithful to respond to him as we continue to worship?